and I'm coding all night. Project won't compile, it'll be alright. Computer science for life, and that's my direction. Instead of beatballs, my home is throw exceptions. Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Joining us on the program tonight is Cooper, a Texan sysadmin that's new to the biohacking scene, and Cursor, a British graduate student specializing in RF technology. So at first, we want to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers customs, custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at dangerousthings.com. And if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter via hashtag Dangerous Minds podcast or at dangerousminds.io and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. This week on Dangerous Minds podcast, we have Tim Cannon, CTO at Grindhouse Wetware. Thank you for joining us today. Introducing yourself and telling us biohacking grinding means you and your, your own grind as it were. Uh, yeah, so um, as you said, I'm Tim Cannon, and um, I'm one of the co-founders of Grindhouse Wetware. We, um, we're we kind of a think tank uh, slash company slash uh, biohacker collective, you know, kind of hard to really define. Um, but we, uh, grinding to us and, and the things that we do here are, are really about, I mean, the truth is it's about, it's about designing your own destiny, right? It's about liberating humanity from the shackles of, of biology and uh, this idea that we're built correctly in the way we should be uh, just because that's how nature plopped us down here. And so that's basically what we do is, uh, you know, we study ways to give ourselves little abilities and little things that we can do because we feel that the march towards, um, the march of progress is going to be kind of iterative, not uh, grandly designed. Uh, just, just quickly, what, what was that quote you just came up with there? I really loved it. It was something about um, liberating the shackles of humanity. Is that right? Something like that? Uh, liberating us from the shackles of biology. Oh, I absolutely love that quote. We got put out somewhere. <laughs> um, oh, <thanks. laughs> uh, my, my question too is, uh, wh when did you get into biohacking and sort of what, what spurred you on, on to do this? Well, um, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I always played, um, I, pl I played a lot of tabletop role-playing games and my favorite was uh, Shadowrun. And uh, Shadowrun is like a very Gibson-esque um, Neuromancer-style uh, future. And one of the coolest things to me was that you could get these cyberware augments and you could just look at this list of ways in which you wanted to change or enhance yourself or in in enhance your experience. And I just thought that this was the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, I just kind of had hope that maybe I'd live to see at least the beginnings of that. And then, um, you know, cut to 2011, you know, I'm a software engineer and, and you know, into futurism and and you know i'd been watching a lot of ted talk and uh i found uh, i was directed to this video um by a, a singularity podcast called hive 45 um and it was a video about if you implant a magnet in your finger you can feel electromagnetic uh field and uh, in a very real way this gives you a new sense and so i i i as soon as i heard so i heard about it in april and by may i had a magnet in my finger i mean it, it was as soon as i realized that this was something that was possible it was something that i knew i had to go play with you know and um that's kind of what got me into it. It's just, you know, it's been ever since from there. We, we got the magnet. I was enthralled with what I, you know, that I had something new that I could sense. And then I said, well, could I do anything more with this? And we built a device to uh, transfer um, uh, basically sensor signals through the magnet so I could use a rangefinder to 
feel how close or far away things were. And just from there, it's been uh, a relentless pursuit of uh, little hacks that we could try to use to enhance our experiences. The, re- the reason why I really like your story is because I identify it directly with, with myself. So I know I've spoken about it before briefly. So, so I come from a, a software engineering background as well. And I also came across a TEDx talk by Aim uh, at the time. And that's what also brought me in. And like yourself, now it's sort of like, you know, what more can we do? And that's what spurs me as well as yourself probably in, into the community of doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it, there's and it, it, I I thrive on challenge, particularly technical challenge, and um, absolutely infinite sea of of challenges that that await me. Um, just I mean, it it, it 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 couldn't be and there couldn't be a bigger pool of of challenge. It's just never going to end, and and I love that. I I, I dive in and and make myself a more valuable software engineer and electrical engineer with every little project that I do. So if you learn in the way that I learn, which is essentially by doing projects and very hands-on and needing kind of a a general big idea in order to teach you lots of different concepts um, in a directed way, this is the perfect way to do that. And um, a lot of the people that are our members in Grindhouse are people who didn't really succeed in the traditional academic environment. Um, But when they do this, they end up doing things that they never would have done uh, given the way the traditional school system would have directed them. Uh, so, you know, you have guys who are, you know, high school dropouts, myself included, um, who are who are at home doing, you know, physics calculations and, um, you know, rewiring RF antennas and, you know, bending radio and stuff. It, it's, it's, it's really interesting what it allows people to do. You know, it encourages that curious mind. Going further, you know, you're talking about implants. What really got you going? What implants do you currently have? And have you ever had any implants before and had to remove them? If so, why were they removed? So I've had, uh, let's see here. Uh, well, I've had several and I've removed two. So uh, obviously I have like, I have the magnet implant in my finger. And then we, I also have a magnet implanted in my tragus, um, which allows me to pump sound like directly into my ear, uh, which is pretty fun. And um, I have one in my wrist, which was a experiment. We were trying to see if maybe a wrist mounted version of um, our bottlenose project for like sensory experience um, could, could possibly work out. However, the wrist is just not uh, sensitive enough. So I'm probably eventually going to get that one removed. Um, I have uh, two RFID style chips. Uh, one is the XNT NFC, uh, one that Emil Grofstra put out. And then uh, I have a regular RFID, which actually gets me into the Pittsburgh hacker space. Um, I also have implanted a, uh, I had implanted uh, a Circadia device, which was our 1.0 device. It was kind of our first real proof of concept uh, that you can build powered implants uh, on a hacker budget and do it relatively safely um, uh, or at least mitigate most of the risk. And um, we removed that one after 90 days. Uh, it was never really designed to be a long-term implant. It was designed to be, you know, we thought between 90 and 180 days. However, it um, stopped working due to some uh, miscalculations in, in some of the charge circuitry. So we removed that to see what kind of um, information we could kind of get off of it. That was a, a wealth of, that whole experience was a wealth of information. Uh, at least for for us. And um, 
then I um, have a North Star device implanted, which is um, our first kind of fully producible uh, implant. So there's like a full production procedure from start to finish, which has been kind of what we've been mostly pursuing in grindhouses is how do we make these things producible uh, so that they can be consumed by the populace at large. And um, that was our first kind of shot at that. The first thing we did was basically do what we consider the very basics of what you need to do when testing these things, which is you need a processor that's running code, you need a sensor that can detect some sort of thing from the outside, and you need uh, some sort of way to illustrate that that sensor has been triggered. And so as the most simple example of this, what we did for our, our first go was just built a, a lightable LED implant, um, kind of targeted for the body modification community uh, to kind of do some really cool designs encapsulated in silicone designs and things like that so that you can kind of push that body art to its next logical step. And uh, so, yeah, I have that, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I got. So um, last week we had um, Jeff Tibbetts on, and he was talking about some of the challenges that face as a biohacker community um, in terms of things like uh, coating especially, and also some other things I can think of in terms of power. Obviously, as yeah. you spoke just then, you, you've sort of um, addressed directly some of these concerns. But I was wondering sort of what is the biggest challenge for you as Tim Cannon of Grindhouse Wetwear? Uh, battery. I mean, I don't even have to think about that. <laughs> battery. <laughs> yeah, the biggest challenge, without a doubt, is the fact that we cannot pack enough power into battery technologies to make these as small as they need to be and to do things that are useful and interesting to the current, to biohacking, you know, there's, we can't make it low power enough. Now, we're continuing to do that. We've basically, you know, you basically start to run up against the wall in one direction. You've got to try, you, I mean, it just ends up being that the, the only logical next step is to go the other direction. So there's, I can't, I can't pack enough power into this small space, so I guess I have to use less power to do what I want. And so, you know, that, that ends up being a challenge that kind of pulls and tugs on one another, right? Um, so power is really the, uh, the really big roadblock that's the biggest challenge without a doubt so um w would you say that's that's probably the reason why we're seeing a lot of development in either passive um powered um, devices or those that do, don't require power such as the magnets and stuff at the moment and do you reckon once that's sort of sorted we'd see a massive sort of spring into the step of, of things that do require power uh yeah I, I well i think once somebody basically comes out and proves that they've built a a, a technology yeah i think once once we see either somebody coming up with a methodology to um do useful things at extremely low power so for example like as as we go and run up against this wall i'm starting to find you know, Bluetooth modules and processors and things like this that are running on like five milliamps active and transmitting while being in like 400 nanoamps in sleep mode, right? And so you're talking about like that, that kind of give and take. But I think once somebody solves the power consumption ratio issue, um, I think that we're going to see a huge leap forward in, in that. And I think that the reason that you see more movement on passives is partly because of the power issue, but also partly because I feel that passives are at a place where they're small enough because they don't require that battery that they're far more palatable to a larger audience as well. And so I think that you see you see both of those factors kind of, you know, being part of the success. Like you're mentioning passives as being just a, a lot easier, more pal palatable to, uh, I guess, easier said, uh, like the muggles. Um, mm -hmm. Is that uh, in, related to what we see in the news all the time whenever we 
think of lithium ion packs with like Samsung sevens, you know, not being allowed on planes even today. It kind of turn you away from having any kind of battery pack in implants in the future or just trying to think how can I power transdermally to avoid that? Um, well, I think that I think that when you see that kind of stuff, um, you know, these people aren't necessarily designing under the kinds of constraints that we put ourselves under. Um, you know, I can I can certainly say that. So, you know, the, these design constraints that they put themselves under are with the understanding that it is something that if it does catch on fire, it can be removed from a pocket. Whereas I'm not designing under that notion, right? And um, so the way in which I would design battery safety circuitry would be that it would prefer the device to fail rather than exceeding uh, 45 degrees Celsius, which is where cell death begins, right? I have heat problems that phones don't have. And so I, I find that what we're doing is attempting to design under constraints that are considerably larger uh, and, um, and, and and more constraining uh, than, than the design constraints of, of a phone manufacturer. And so at that point, they can kind of, you know, you're not going to have thermal runaway of a chemical compound typically you know under a certain temperature right and that's just that's just chemistry now and and don't get me wrong we're starting to exit the realm of my expertise i have other people in the organization that study this but my understanding is thermal runaway and the dangerous parts of that kind of begin far after it would be a problem for us right um we, if we ever got to a place where the battery could explode we've already we've already begun to hurt our our clients and our and our, our people so uh, our design constraints kind of kind of gear us away from that but that's also what makes it so slow painful and difficult so in your own grind with uh, grindhouse wetware what has been your single most moment of achievement that's really difficult um that would be really difficult to say uh you know we we thrive on on little achievements all the time and um you know i'm also like you know one of the my co-founders is also my best friend and you know this sort of thing so we're we're having a good time the whole time but i, I would say i'd say the implantation and month or two that when we had Circadia in, and um, even though it, it, it failed, it failed safely. I, I don't know. I, I would say that was probably one of the, the highlight moments because it was kind of like where we, we proved our point. And our point was, what the hell are we waiting for? If, you know, a bunch of idiots in a basement in Pittsburgh can do this, then why the hell do I not have a flying car? Where's my jetpack? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely get what you're saying. I, and I like I like the idea that, that, every, that every little part of where you're going creates an overall goal and, and things yeah. like that. Is that. I guess that's something that, that runs through through the company and organization as a, as a whole from, from everyone that's involved. It's quite nice that you have, you know, a complete spot. In, in whatever's developed as the end product, everyone's had at least some sort of um, work to, to go towards it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we work on, we, we, you know, as a software engineer, I just kind of, uh, and, and I'm not, I, as a software engineer, I'm also a, um, you know, scrum master and, and I do uh, what's called agile methodology right and I'm, I'm really into the the agile process of development and so I brought the tenets of software agile development into the grinding uh, into a into a grinder group with this idea of like we all have to move the ball down the field and we all need to know where we're headed and so there's value in in not being one of these like sort of like renegade types that can 
can't like work with anybody. There's a value in, in getting together as a group and declaring ideas and somebody's ideas are going to go last and somebody's ideas are going to go first. But if you, as a team, kind of get together and make agreements on moving in a, in a single direction, you'll go a lot faster and you'll eventually get done the things that you want. And and our, our team members are highly passionate about the, the real goal and we're very focused on the real goal. And the real goal isn't the next implant. The real goal is is having an Arduino for biohacking, you know, something that anybody <laughs> can put together and do themselves, right? And to, to spread this so deeply into the populace that we just see this explosion of diversity in, in, in use, right? You know, you, you, you'll find people who are maybe more into, you know, spirituality or meditation or these sorts of things, taking it a whole different direction than people who maybe are into extreme sport, right? And that's where we want to go. I mean, the, the idea Everybody in the organization is focused on that goal. I think the the idea of having a an, an Arduino for for biohacking is an absolute dream. Like if you think of the amount of prototyping um, that's gone towards you know Arduino and, and what's come out of it, you can build you know pretty much whatever your limitations of your own imagination are. So that'd be awesome. In terms of sort of like the products the projects that you do, um, obviously the North Star is is a big big part of that. Um, now I think uh, Cooper was saying as well that the uh, that a sort of a North Star with the little fingers uh, bunny ears uh, appeared on the uh, Alibaba.com website, uh, which is sort of. Oh, like, that is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you have any issues in, in terms of like copyright infringement and also like what have you done to protect your intellectual, intellectual property or any sort of advice to anyone that's, that's looking to do something like like what you've achieved? Um. Well, you know, we're um. Yeah. I, 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 you know, being completely honest, the organization is kind of torn on on how intellectual property works. You know, we have a. We have a really, you know, where a lot, a lot of us are big Linux advocates and big, you know, like free open information and that, you know, it, so it's, it's really difficult because there's also this entire infrastructure that, that massively disagrees with us on that point. And so it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. And so we don't really, you know, we, we're figuring out how we're going to do patents. And until then, we just operate under the GNU public license for most things and, uh, and that sort of thing. Now, we saw this pop up on Ali. Baba, and we saw that they had it listed as, you know, like it was like $1 and, you know, they had like a billion unit dock and we kind of realized the sort of thing that um, Alibaba will do is that they'll just, anybody who's advertising any sort of technology, they'll just be like, yeah, we'll sell that. And then if somebody orders enough of them, they'll just reverse engineer it or rip it off, right? And there's not really much you can do uh, to protect against that, even in the case of intellectual property, other than the fact that they might've branded it similar to our thing. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I just think that that's, I think that that's a challenge that we're going to have to learn to live with in, in the society we're in. And until you have people and what we'd probably like to do is similar to what like Elon Musk does, which is, um, don't, don't let the patent run out, you know, uh, submit the, you know, submit it to the public as soon as you make enough money to do the next project, right? And I think that that's probably the methodology that we're going to go with is that as soon as we release a new implant, the old implant will be open source and given freely to the public. That sounds like an awesome idea there, making open source as the Arduino for biohacking. You know, going back on the Alibaba incident, I myself saw it and tried to order and they kept trying to almost like a used car salesman bait and switch and get me to send them 
become my design of a product I wanted to build with them because they, they were then willing to build it with me. And I, But if you're stealing something and you want me to send my design to you for you can build it, that just kind of freaks me out. And then how do I you know ensure that you're going to make a product that I even want, would want to beta test in my body, let alone sell for other people to put it in your body? And on that note, talking about safety, how do you yeah, yeah. of your products, really? Especially when how it's unnerving. Like you know, how unnerving that they don't even know what they're offering to sell people. And so if you gave this to them to spec and then they looked at it and went, well, they want this $340 silicone for some reason. Why don't we just give them that other shit we got sitting in the back? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, it's chemically equivalent. And it's like, yeah, but has it gone through the same purity? Like, you know, what are you talking about? And um, so they don't even know what you intend to do with the product that they're offering. I mean, and that's, that's one of the reasons that you kind of have to, I think that that's one of the reasons that that there is still value, even though we live in a world where people will violate intellectual property constraints. Um, that does that that only enforces that reputations are going to become important again um, and valid, right? And because you're going to have to live in a world where anybody can make anything, and so you have to be wise about who you pick as your maker, you know. And um, and uh, I think that people know and have heard enough about Grindhouse to understand that. Um, this is something we take very seriously. It's something we self-test, which I'm sure you wouldn't be getting from the Alibaba people. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? And, um, you know, in this sort of thing, and we put our own um, safety at risk before ever offering that to the public. And um, so I think that that's a kind of a, you know, a, a, we're going to have to learn to live with that. And Alibaba is only going to be tarnishing its own reputation. But I think its reputation can survive because it can get you like, you know, 8 million regulators for like 4 cents a piece or whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah. they have advantage. I mean, I, I would say to everyone that's sort of uh, this podcast going out to, obviously, we interview a lot of people that do their own projects. Um, and each of them, you know, they, they, they test and and like you say, the importance for you guys to test it is way more than anyone else. But not only that, but the fact that you're, you're when you when you sort of buy into these products, you're not just buying a product as as or sort of like a, a client, but more as you're sort of buying into the idea of the future of where this can go. And it's quite a nice idea that you're you're sort of fund funding the next maybe um, technology that might be developed by by investing in the right companies. So in in terms of talking about uh, funding the next sort of like tech revolution or or, or new technology that's coming out, how how do you go about doing that? As as a company so when well when we're trying to you, you mean for our personal research projects yeah or just we, in, in general if, we, if, if you were looking at sort of like obviously it, it costs it costs a massive amount to be able to do stuff I know when we were talking to Jeff uh, last week he was talking about uh, one of the limitations that he finds in the stuff that he does is the pure cost that goes into replicating the same sort of to trying to get the same results and, and backing that up um, so I'm just wondering sort of like uh, how, how you sort of go about getting investment or, or, or where it's coming from well, I mean, we're largely uh, we're largely self-funded, and um, we've had uh, we've also had um, you know I, there's some amount of money that I've made from small amounts of speaking fees that I just basically give right to the organization, and uh, you know we we had uh, we had an investor for for a while, but that kind of fell through, um, and so it was kind of one of these things we kind of just mostly have been self-funded, and um, we're trying to get our projects off the ground, um, and we we tell people you know when we really 
released the North Star, there were a lot of people who kind of said, well, we'd like this to be this, this, and this before we buy it. And we kind of said, well, that's the thing. You know, you kind of need to, we need to fund our early effort in order to speed along the next effort. And, and you know, kind of people say, well, well, I don't want to have to replace it. And it's like, well, then you're not going to really, you're not going to move forward in the future that we're building very well because you're going to have to get used to the fact that, you know, we're, we're going to be tinkering around in our bodies. I mean, if you think this is too invasive, then, you know, the next couple of years might be somewhat disjarring when people are, you know, doing things with the nervous system and, you know, you know, possibly like having prosthetics that come out that are just far superior to the natural uh, limbs. And then how are people going to feel? You know, are people going to, you know, so this is something that I think the world kind of needs to wrap its head around is that this is this is the, the way in which we're going to be moving humanity forward, in my opinion. So at this point in the conversation, we're just going to pause a moment here, give a spot to the conversation, to a place where people can come together and have a conversation and thank our friends at the Body Hacks Con. Want to be more together at 2017 Body Hacks in Austin, Texas, January 27th through 29th. You'll learn throughout a two-day track conference, discover some of the best companies in body hacking, connect with your fellow cyborgs at the hub, and party at the wormhole. This year, put together the Body Hacks Fashion Show opens the, the event on Friday night at Austin Convention Center. Be more together at bodyhacking.com. And so my next question for you is, uh, what what aspect of uh, Grindhouse Wetware's products sort of make them unique in, in such a growing world as, as biohacking or grinding? Well, we're really the only people that are currently doing, you know, implants at the at the level that we're doing them, you know, powered implants that, that have, uh, you know, active sensors and, and this sort of thing, um, working with the Internet of Things style kind of stuff like Bluetooth and those sorts of things. I think we're really the only wor- people really working on them. Well, I mean, there's other, I think there's other people working working on them. I think so far we're really some of the few people that have that have put put these things out. I would say also just that we are uh, kind of trying trying to lead the way, showing how to take an idea from a grind to a producible thing that other people can consume. Because what we found very early on and and you know it probably on some level should have been obvious to us but but we were all kind of naive at the time. What we found early on was that all of a sudden if people, if more than 10 people want the thing that you have you just you can't you can't build it yourself you ha- it has to be produced in a um, manufacturing setting and um you know we, that you that you can't re- i mean you can do your prototypes and your early grinds in a, in a different way but once it comes to you know they just the situation becomes highly un- untenable very quickly and so i think that's another thing that we're doing that's, that's somewhat different than the rest of the community is that we're trying to focus on producibility you know and i know that there's others in the community that alex smith and um uh Emil grofstra you know what i mean and and uh, Jeff Tibbetts actually works with Grindhouse. He's in a, he's in our Slack channel. I wanted to get hold of or have a look at have, have a look at the products that you do. Uh, what would be the best way for me to go about it? Is there a website or do you have a forum or so what, what's the best yeah, way? We grind, we, we, yeah, we have grindhousewetware.com and you know we we have a heavy presence on Facebook and Twitter. I think 
you know, I, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but the, the guy who does all of our media stuff is. So, so there's, yeah, there's a presence uh, presence there. I think we actually have like an Instagram and stuff too. So yeah, I mean, if, if people want to look at that, the website's probably the best place. And then really uh, in terms of a forum, we don't, we really just participate in other forums. We don't uh, run our own, but we go to biohack.me a lot. And that's where I recommend anybody who's getting into grinding. Uh, the first thing I ask them is, well, would you like to help me out? And then they, if they, if they, they say, no, I'm kind of more of a free spirit. I'd like to do my own thing. I go, okay, well, go to biohack.me. That's that's the place to go. And if you need any help, you know, ping me anytime, you know, and that's definitely how the grinder community is. You know, when you start getting into this, you know, you, you can basically just reach out to almost anybody and be like, can you help me with this? And they'll be like, sure. You know, and if they, if they know it, you know, me and Rich Lee have collaborated, you know, obviously Jeff Tibbetts and I collaborate uh, a lot, you know, at Grindfest, I met a bunch of the, the prominent guys. You know, I've, I've partied with Emil a couple of times. So speaking of projects, what projects are you currently working on? Could you tell us a little bit about it without revealing any proprietary information about it? Sure. Right now we're working on uh, a couple of projects and, and most of our projects lay down the foundations for the next project. So um, right now we're working on North Star version two, which is going to have some pretty cool features. Uh, it'll be wirelessly rechargeable and uh, Bluetooth enabled, and it's going to have uh, gesture recognition on it due to some high sensitivity. It's going to have a accelerometer, magnetometer, onboard memory. Basically, when you tap it, you'll be able to do a gesture in the air, and then you'll basically train your phone to recognize that particular gesture and then have it kick off whatever behavior you want. We have uh, Uber here in Pittsburgh, so I, I we had intended on reaching out to Uber so that we could make the first gesture to be summoning a self-driving car because Pittsburgh has this fleet of 100 self-driving Ubers. And so we kind of wanted to see if we could work that out with them for kind of something to, to show our show the proof of concept. Also, uh, we're working on Circadia version 2, which is going to be a infinitely, ridiculously smaller uh, and exceptionally better version of uh, our very first pro real project, Circadia. It's going to basically take sensor information from within the body and um, kick that up to uh, what we're built. Well, also what overarches both of these projects is that we're building a, a system on the cloud right now um, that we would open source the server in case anybody wanted to do, run it privately. Uh, but basically, it's a pattern recognition system using um, machine learning to kind of identify patterns. And uh, we kind of wanted to centralize that and allow anybody to use it in any way. So it'd be a flexible kind of framework for rec pattern recognition. So we're, we intend on using it for gesture recognition at first. And then we'd like to then kick up the circadia information uh, to do pattern recognition on that. Uh, so we have we have a bunch of kind of things in the work that are all kind of working in, in concert. And then at the very back end of things, our, our far future project, we try to work on like kind of a near-term, mid-term, long-term project uh, timeline. And uh, so what we're doing research into and planning a grind for is uh, is is a project that we're calling Imperius. And uh, that's for uh, inter interacting with the peripheral nervous system. So that's that's the projects that are coming up around the... All right. Well, you mentioned uh, the fleet of 100 Ubers in the area. I know this is off topic, but you're making me curious. Have you tried mm -hmm. uh, riding with one of those? And if you did, what's it like? So I have not tried riding one of those, but my friend, uh, our, our, our media guy, Ryan O'Shea, he's also a, a producer on a local news station here. He, uh, he actually covered 
the Uber self-driving car for a newscast. And so he came back and was telling us about it. He said it was really, he said it was interesting, but he he, he was in the driver's seat of the self-driving car when he did it. And it was, he said it was really fascinating because you're, you're so, your body is so used to doing things that it kind of, your mind freaks out a little bit that you're not doing them, right? So you're in a car seat and you're approaching a stop sign of a, of a two-way stop sign and the, the opposing traffic doesn't stop, right? And your body's just like, why are you not pressing on the brake, you know? And uh, why are your hands not on the wheel? What are you doing, man? And so he said that there was a little bit of nervousness there uh, that he didn't anticipate. And, and I thought that was really fascinating. I think what we'll, what we'll try and do is um, maybe get hold of that uh, that article and, and run it down on a on a uh, news show if, if you want, Cooper, uh, at some point. Uh, when we get Damien back, we'll, we'll try and try and run through that. And I know another question that, uh, that, that Cooper's got his fingers crossed for, definitely for this. <laughs> Have you thought about approaching NASA with your project with your products as a technical as- aspect of their plans towards a mission to Mars. I think he wants to see something in the biohack world up, up in Mars. I mean, I, I would I would love to, but um, I don't know that I. We don't really. We try to avoid approaching government institutions and and things like that. Um, we we would prefer them to kind of if they're interested in what we're doing. Um, and it's not anything like you know. We just kind of figure they're going to look at what we do and and not really be as interested. As as you might, you know what I mean. I, I I would I would think that they might think we're a little bit too outside of the mainstream to work with. Um, I mean, it's not that we wouldn't be interested in working with them. You know, we just we just we we didn't, we didn't think we. I've, it's never even occurred to me that they'd want to work with us. Now we've had other uh, institutions that we've heard of kind of uh, you know asked to work with us or whatever, and and we've kind of declined. But um, I think that's mostly because we we do concern ourselves with the um, the grinder aspect of the work, and that we're we're trying not to get in. Into, into places where we'd have to keep our information proprietary and so we kind of avoid that so so no good news for you at the moment Cooper sorry about that <laughs> I have to yeah. keep working <laughs> oh well uh, I can't help it uh, it's been a dream since a kid of wanting to be an astronaut but oh well that's definitely not well, that's the thing. you know I think that one of the one of the things we always kind of joke about in, in grindhouse is, is how I think people don't like our overarching goal and our long-term goal is so so different from being like you know, the idea of being an astronaut to me is like, I would never, I wouldn't want to be an astronaut because I don't want to go to space in a spaceship. I want to be a spaceship. You know what I mean? And and so like the idea of like, you know, I don't want to feed into the, the whole monkeys in cans version of space travel. I think that's a bad idea. Um, you say you want I don't to be a spaceship. That, well, I, I, among others. I mean, in the long term, uh, in the long term, I mean, try to, I mean, try to imagine, I'm talking about eventually being 100% artificial. So why the hell would I look like a monkey? Ah, okay. Right? <laughs> like, if, I live, if I live in space, what use are like legs and toes, right? I mean, you know, I mean, this sort of thing. And so, um, you know, it just seems like people don't r- really realize how formless uh, consciousness really is. And when we begin to be able to uh, remove biology from the equation, our, our formlessness is only going to increase. And it's going to be uh, really interesting to watch what people become and what they choose to be and how they choose to interact with, with the, the, the available sensory information around them. I, I don't think, I mean, this, we're talking about very radical changes to the human form. I, I, I don't think everybody's, I, I don't think after a couple of generations, everybody's going to want to look like an ape thing. That just doesn't make sense. So, Siri, I want you to call me a spaceship. Okay, you're now the Enterprise. So, yes. when, you know, furthering the conversation, I just had to say that after, you know, saying that you want 
wanted to be a spaceship. It just clicked to me. You know, when was your light bulb moment or aha moment, or for that matter, when was your last uh, last one you had? If you've had a few along the way in your grown grind. Um. Well, I mean, you know, getting the magnet implant was uh, the six months of getting the magnet after getting the magnet implant. I just I had so many moments of kind of deep realization about the implications of of implantable technology, you know, um, because there were times where like when I first realized one of the first things I realized was just kind of like, holy, holy crap, we're, we're blind. Like, you know, these five senses and the limited range we get in them are just I mean, that's there's so much more right data flying around that we just can't pick up and when you can pick it up it adds a layer to your world that makes it a, a little bit more highly defined and that to me was fascinating um this idea of you know that, that's the thing i think a lot of people get the magnet and they they talk mostly about how cool it was to wake up to this new sense but to me there was a a, a, a deep realization that that i'm lacking many 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 useful senses and that really i'm blind to the to the larger universe. And so <clears throat> that was very interesting to me. Also, you know, the first time I ran my hand through a strong field that I wasn't expecting, there was a soldering iron that kicks off this really heavy AC field. Um, I think it has like a really powerful transformer in it or something. And um, I was running, I, I, I went to go grab a resistor in my lab and my hand went through it. And I, before I really knew why I was doing it, I instinctively pulled away because I knew that there was the presence of a lot of electricity and I wasn't expecting it. So I better get my hand out of there. And I, I, that wasn't a thought process. That was an instinct. It happened to me. So that was a really interesting realization for me was when my finger magnet kind of became part of my instinct system rather than my uh, intellect system. You know, and, and, you know, there was no planned execution. It was just a recoiling. <laughs> so um, that was that was a big, big moment for me uh, when I kind of finally unpacked what had happened. Um, but then I guess, you know, kind of along the way, it's been really... Uh, more subtle than than aha because I constantly am around people. This is another reason to really work in teams of grinders and I can't advise teams of five or more enough, right? Because you constantly are around people who are inspiring you and challenging your your ideas and and really kind of constantly evolving your your philosophical view of what is grinding because everybody that's into grinding is ridiculously passionate about it. So that's what you talk about most of the time. What's our future going to be like? How are we going to do that? And so I'm kind of constantly like, you know, marinated in, in inspiration kind of all the time because all of my guys and, and gals are just amazing people, right? They're just hardcore grinders. Well, you talk about challenges and working in a team and also you've mentioned magnets being like a pivotal moment, discovering an, a sense that you're missing and uh, with coatings being such an issue. And it seems like a lot of people are trying to work with that right now is... Is there any possibility of that becoming solved where it's no longer just like a five-year lifetime or dangers of it breaking apart? You know, is there a possibility of something being fixed in that area? Because that's one of the implants I want, but also am not quite there yet on willing to put that in my body because of everything I've read. And instead, I've got a, a magnetic wedding ring just to try and get a little bit of a sense of what y'all are 
experiencing, the, the, the people that are able to or have been brave enough to put that in their body. I know um, uh, one, one grinder I read about from the UK, uh, she uses like hot glue as a biosafing material. Just makes me wonder further in your, in your circle, in your grind, you know, what, what have you seen with that kind of challenge of, of coatings, really? Coatings was a coatings was a was a big challenge for us selecting the right coating and finding something that's industry standard and then then balancing that against fence and seeing what we could do there that was very difficult um, but we ended up working it out um, uh, in such a way that you know there's there's a couple of coatings that are pretty standard to use they're you know approved by the FDA they're used in industry Paraline is one of them um, medical grade silicone is another now you can't use medical grade silicone to bioproof something, but you can use it as kind of a filler because the other things that you can use to bioproof something, they get gas applied. And so you're talking about things that are like, you know, 50, uh, you know, micros or something like that, um, which is which is huge for this particular coating, but it leaves jagged edges on the circuits and things like that. So then you have to fill it in with something softer. And so that's the that's the technique that we've mostly used. But what, what we found is that the event um, could be prohibitive um, to many, many grinders. Um, so uh, we're trying to work that out. And that's one of the things that that's another kind of side project that we have is this um, idea of an Arduino for biohacking. Um, we're trying to figure out a way that you could do that so that you have a company like Grindhouse um, positioned to where you have a software where you can kind of go and add the sensors and the code that you'd like and um, kind of say, okay, I would like to put this up for production and then have other grinders kind of maybe kickstart that sort of thing until you can get a production run, at which point, you know, Grindhouse or whatever companies kind of administering this would then just kind of say, okay, well, we have the production process, we have the Paraline process, we have, um, uh, you know, sources to go for third-party testing, which everybody should be doing in the grinder community, um, and uh, kind of, um, you know, helping people produce that in in, in a way that, that they can kind of go with their creativity, but also know that they're going with a process that's already, you know, like taking some of the manufacturing aspect out of it. So, um, obviously, uh, over, over the podcast, we have a, a different range of uh, uh, listeners um, in terms of their experience in the community. I uh, was just uh, wondering if there's anything that you'd uh, sort of say to someone thinking about getting their first body modification. If you, if, if you were to speak to them, how, how would you sort of ease their concerns if they had any? Well, um, I think when I, when I meet somebody who's thinking about doing their first, um, you know, grinder style body mod, you know, uh, if they're trying to get an RFID or they're trying to get a magnet, you know, I'd probably ask, you know, what are you trying to get out of this? What kind of experience are you trying to, to have? And then I would probably look at, you know, what, you know, listen to what they had to say. And if they, if they had concerns, I mean, mostly I would, I mean, when somebody has concerns, I kind of say, those are reasonable. That's absolutely reasonable. It's also reasonable to have concerns about um, almost any of the things that you do that involve risk, you know, skydiving. There's a reason to be concerned there, but it's, it's also very fun, right? Um, so I think that if you're, if you're looking into this, there is, uh, you, I don't think that it's a good idea to necessarily ease somebody's concerns about the risk so much as it is important to say no this is this is a risk and if you're wanting to get involved in it um it's it's interesting but we can't we can't try to claim that this isn't there that there isn't some sort of um 
risk. But at the same time, I think that you would encounter those same risks in, say, things like plastic surgery or, or piercing or tattoos and that sort of thing. So the level of risk, if they're overblowing it, um, I, I can definitely speak to that. But I usually try to make sure that they also understand if you don't take care of it, it could get infected. If it gets infected, that's really shitty and, and you don't you don't want that. And there is a risk of infection. And anytime there's a risk of infection, you know, at, at its at its most extreme, you run the risk of serious serious injury, you know, you know, and, and we, and we don't always know everybody's story. And so that's the thing. I don't know if somebody has some kind of immune deficiency disease that they're not telling me about. And if I explain to them, oh no, it's fine. It's safe. I mean, look, you know, it's no problem. That's, that's a, that's unethical, right? To, to, to do that because you don't know everybody's story. You have to make sure that they're aware that this is something that you're doing that is, that is risky. And I think that that's one of the reasons that I, that I stress that so much is because medicine is different from what we do. We are not medicine. We are not health, right? And that is a very important distinction for us to make because, and, and that, you know, we are, we are a different thing. And this is about, you know, kind of a whole different thing than medicine or health. And so we need to make sure people understand that this is much more like skydiving than medicine. So it's a good point you're making today. Just for, I know we've hinted on it a few times during, the, during this interview, this conversation. You know, where do you see the future of biohacking? Really? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, like, uh, you know, I've heard early on the, uh, you know, I, I, I saw um, a long time ago, I saw Kurzweil's talk on the singularity and, and the subsequent like documentary that he made. And so I, I wouldn't say that I'm quite as, I think that there's some people who approach the singularity kind of religiously, like it's going to be some sort of messianic event. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm religious about it, but I noticed that the speed in which technology is increasing is heading us towards, towards a, uh, an exponential curve. And uh, I think biohacking is going to be a part of that, but it's going to be in the environment of many other things. And so I think that eventually you get to a place where you really can't can't see your, like you're just your predictive capability really breaks down. And so I'm very interested in the future, but I try as hard as I can not to predict it. Now that said, let me give you a prediction. Um, no, uh, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I can see biohacking moving forward, um, you know, towards, I mean, at least our goal is to kind of, we're, we're trying to go, you know, implantable sensors um, that can both, you know, understand human behavior and and give feedback to human behavior um, and uh, and then go into the nervous system and then the central nervous system. And then from there, it's kind of hard to begin to see. It really starts to break down what, what, what more you need. Because, you know, once you're into the central nervous system, then you're, you're, you're able to plug your head into machines and that, that could potentially highly increase your, your intellect, at which point, you know, what we're going to do next is, is hard to say. I mean, I think that my my biggest goal is to replace my brain piece by piece. Now, this is, of course, a, over a long enough timeline. Uh, replace my brain piece by piece until there's no brain anymore. Uh, and then at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I can be whatever I want to be. Wow. Uh, that sounds pretty uh, impressive. I um, just want to say uh, thanks. It's thanks. definitely ambitious. And, and, and I think anybody who's met me will, will probably tell you I'm, I'm overshooting. <laughs> I, I'm overly ambitious given my skills and talents but I'm still going to try. I think I think if we weren't overly ambitious as a community, uh, we wouldn't achieve half the stuff that, that we are achieving. And, and what's to come is just obviously a small factor of that. So you know, if anything, we should yeah. celebrate celebrate that. Um, yeah, I yeah. agree. And uh, in general, I just want to say th thanks again uh, to Tim. Uh, Tim Cannon, the co-founder of Grindhouse Wetware. All the info can be found at grindhousewetware.com or you can reach them on the biohack.me forum. Uh, now, if you like what we're doing and you want to support our efforts, please go to our homepage, dangerousminds.io, and click on the 
image of the t-shirts and the hoodies and it will take you to a teespring sale 100% of the campaign will go towards this podcast so uh, make sure you check those out there's also some stickers and stuff up there as well um, and also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes um, Google Play Music and there's an RSS feed or if like Cooper you like the free um, open source solutions AntennaPod is available as well again we want to thank you for listening uh, to us explore further the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking grinding implantable technology today please feel free to reach out to us with questions comments you're welcome to find us at www.dangerousminds.io and perhaps we might one day talk to you about the work or the projects you're exploring and developing until next week seek the spark Project won't compile, it'll be alright Computer science for life, and that's my direction Instead of beat balls, my homies throw exceptions